unity. It's a gift. The second thing I want to underscore when it comes to this topic of unity, while on one hand, unity is a gift, on the other hand, unity has to be maintained. Unity takes effort. Unity takes work. When we come to Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 3, Paul is again dressing uh, unity to a different church. And he says this, he says, make every effort, every effort, like on your watch, Whatever's going on, make, if there's disgruntledness among you and another believer, make every effort to squash it quickly. If you need to schedule a meeting and hash things out, then do it. If you need to forgive, then work to forgive. If you need to, need to work through, make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. So on one hand, unity is a gift. On the other hand, you and I, we must fight for unity. Make every effort. So Paul, when we come to Philippians chapter 2, he's going to give us, he's going to break down this message in two parts. First is the, the motive for unity. That's going to be Philippians chapter 2 and verse 1. And then Philippians chapter 2 verses 2 through 4 is, is the means. So first he gives us the motive for unity. Then he gives us the means, how we actually live a life of, of unity. So first the motive uh, for unity. Uh, there's a lot of things that could be our motives for unity. Uh, one would be the favor of God. Like if you want the favor of God on your life, it's going to come through unity. Uh, hey, you guys are looking good out there today. You can see, hey, looking nice. Um, uh, it's helping unity already. You see how that, that happened right there? That's awesome. Um, oh, <laughs> don't take it personal. <laughs> um, so, so favor comes through unity. Uh, blessings from God comes through unity. Anointing comes through unity. We could go to different scriptures and, and highlight these principles throughout the Bible. Blessings uh, all through unity. Uh, but Paul is going to give us a higher motive for unity. And here, here it is in Philippians chapter 2, uh, verse 1. He says this. He says, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then work for unity. Uh, this is written in the first class conditional clause in the Greek language. And all that means is that it, Paul is saying, I highlight this, if you have this, then do this. He's saying, it, it basically means, if you have this, and I know you do. If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, and I know you do. If you experience any comfort from his love, and I, I know you do. If you've experienced any tenderness and compassion from God, and I know you have, then do this. In our English language, we would say, because you've experienced this, now behave this way. Or since God has given you this, now give God what he desires, and that is unity. Uh, one of the last things that Jesus prayed for, for you, for me, before he went to the cross, one of the last things on Jesus' mind before he went to the cross was the unity of the church. We read about that in John chapter chapter 17, and, and here's Jesus, his prayer. He says, he says, my prayer is not for them alone. I also pray for those who will believe through their message. That's us. Like he's not just praying for the disciples. He's not just praying for the apostles. He's praying for us. We believe because of the message handed down through the, the apostles, through the disciples. He, and he says, he says he's praying for, for us as well, that those who believe in, will believe in me through the message, that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. Uh, 
May they also be in us. And here's why this is so important. Here's why the stakes are so high. May they be one so that the world may believe that you sent me. Jesus knew the unity of the church was mission critical. And we need to get this in our heads. We need to get this in the forefront of our minds. We need to fight for unity. Why? Because it's mission critical. If we get it wrong, everything else we do right doesn't matter. But if we get this right, it's game on. If we get this right, everything else begins to fall into alignment. He doubles down. He says, I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as you and I are, are one, I and them and you and me. May they, they be brought to complete unity. Why? To let the world know that you sent me, that I have loved them even as you have loved me. Unity. It's vital for us as a church. It's vital for every body of believers. The Bible actually refers to this gathering as the body of Christ. So like, like just as your body has like different parts and different functions, so the person sitting next to you has a unique part, has a unique function. And what happens whenever our physical bodies are at war with each other? You're sick, right? If cells in your body are fighting against each other, it's when you're, you're sick, and what happens if that sickness continues long enough? You die. That's right. It's pretty simple. Uh, and the same is true for the body of Christ. So unity is important. Why? One, because it's mission critical. Two, because if we want to be a church that's alive, who wants to be a part of a church that's dead? Nobody. And so unity is, is vital. Paul knows that. So, so Paul is going to double down on this topic of, of unity. And he gives us first the motive for unity. And he says this. If you're taking notes, this is where they begin. Uh, number one, encouragement from being united with Christ. Encouragement from being united with Christ. Uh, Paul writes, writes this in Ephesians uh, chapter 2, uh, beginning in verse 1. He says, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ. Hey, you have any encouragement from being united with Christ? Like, do you ever just sit back and, and maybe think about this? Say, think about how God, he's rescued you. Like Jesus, he's, he's, he saved you. Like, like right now, whenever nobody else is around, like God has given you his, his, the very presence of God, the spirit of God, the Bible says, resides in you. Do you ever find comfort there, encouragement there? Do you ever find encouragement knowing that right now as we're sitting in this service, Jesus is at the right hand of God and he knows the details of your life and he's interceding on your behalf saying, God, you got to help Roger. God, you got to help Jolie. God, you got to help Jason. He's interceding for you. You ever find encouragement there? Do you ever find encouragement knowing that one day when you stand before a holy God and give an account for your life, that you will not have to give an account for every sin you've ever committed? Why? Because Jesus paid your penalty on the cross. And now whenever the father looks at you, he sees you clothed, sees you covered in the holiness of Christ, the righteousness of Christ, so that we can stand before God. We can face death with confidence. The Bible says, where, O oh, death, is your victory? Where, O oh, death, is your sting? It's been swallowed up. Because of Christ, right? Have you, you ever find encouragement there? Yes. And Paul's saying, Paul's saying this, yeah. Paul's saying, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, and I know you do, then give Jesus what he desires most, what he prayed for before the cross, and that is the unity of the church. So Paul says, hey, one of your motives is, hey, Jesus has given you encouragement. Answer his prayer and give him Unity. Second thing he points to is comfort from his love. He says, if you have any comfort from his love. You ever find comfort from the love of God in your life? 
I love this psalm. In Psalm 103, he says, he says, for as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for you. For some of you, maybe your best spiritual next step would be to go outside at night and just look up at the stars, look at the great expanse, talk to Jeff Garside about the galaxies and and the cosmos and how it's billions and millions of light years away and, and just think about as high as that is, as far as that is, that's how much he he loves you. You ever find comfort from his love? Like, like, like Paul's just saying, hey, church, like we got to frame this up. Let this be your motive. God, he loves you more than you love yourself. The Bible says that, that, that he delights in the details of your life, like details of your life that you don't even care about. Like how he knows the number of hairs on your head. When's the last time you counted those? Like he doesn't, unless you're bald, then you care a whole lot about those. But, but, but if you have some hair on your head, like you don't know how many hairs are on your head, but he does. Why? Because he delights in you. He cares about you. He loves you that much. He, he, he delights if you find comfort from his love. The psalmist says, as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed your sin, your shame, your transgression from you. You find comfort there? Paul's saying, if you find comfort from his love, then give Jesus what he desires for his church, and that is unity. Third thing he says, if you have any fellowship with the Spirit. Number three, fellowship with the Spirit. Paul writes this, if, if you have any fellowship with the Spirit, this word fellowship is the Greek word koinonia. It's this idea of, of intimate relationship, not like in a sexual term, but in just like I know them. They know me. They know the details of my life. Like we do life together. If you have any fellowship, koinonia with the Spirit, if you do life with the Spirit of God. And Paul's saying, hey, if this, then I know you do. Because this is true for every believer. The Bible says that the Holy Spirit takes up residence in us. I don't understand it. Like, I, I, if I were God, I'd probably, I don't know if I'd do that. Because I'm like, y'all going to screw this thing up. But, but he trusts us with that, right? In your physical body, if you're a follower of Jesus, you have the, the very presence of the living God inside of you. Uh, Paul writes this in 1 Corinthians. He says, he says, don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives, who, who lives in you and was given to you by God. What a gift. It, it, you talk about fellowship. Like he's with you. He sees you. He, he knows the emotions you're feeling. He knows how you're, you're viewing life. He, he sees the circumstances you're facing. He knows, hey, they're in a real jam. Hey, I think we could do this. And, and he intercedes for you. Like, you ever find any comfort from that? You ever find joy just knowing like, hey, I got fellowship with the Holy Spirit Paul's saying, hey, if you find joy in the Holy Spirit, you know the Holy Spirit's with you. If God's given you that gift, then give him the gift of unity. And unity of the church, like it's a, it's a big deal. And a matter of fact, we can uh, tarnish, we can diminish our relationship with the Holy Spirit by, by living a disunified life. Paul would write this in Ephesians 4. He says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit. One of the ways we grieve the Holy Spirit is is sowing discord like against other people, like talking trash about people. That doesn't lead to unity. And, and Paul's just saying, hey, don't do that. But if you have fellowship with the Spirit, koinonia, then, then give God unity. Fourth thing, if you have tenderness and compassion, if you've experienced tenderness and compassion from God, um, Philippians 2.1 says this, if you have any tenderness and compassion. The, the compassion, tenderness could be translated mercy. Uh, grace of God, the grace of God is to give you what you don't deserve. 
Like, like I, there's a whole lot of things that I don't deserve that, that God, like, I don't deserve salvation. Like, I've blown it. I'm, I, I admit that. But God, in his grace, has given us salvation. Uh, mercy is, the op- is similar to that, but kind of the opposite. It's withholding from you what you rightfully deserve. Uh, aren't you thankful for the mercy of God, right? The, the psalmist would write this. He says, Psalm 103, he says, he does not punish us like our sins deserve. That's mercy. He does not deal harshly with us as we deserve. That's mercy. That's tenderness. That's compassion of God towards us. Paul's saying, let this be your motive for unity. If you've experienced any of these things, let this motivate you to give Jesus what he prayed for, and that is a unity. So, so Philippians chapter 2, verse 1, here it is in a snapshot. If you have any encouragement, and I know you do, if you have any comfort from his love, and I know you do, if you have any fellowship with the Spirit, and I know you do, if you have any tenderness and compassion, then do this. Now he gives us the means for unity. There's a lot of things that we could uh, put here that, that Paul doesn't actually list out as far as means for unity. Like forgiveness is a huge means for unity, to forgive people when they offend you, uh, forgive them quickly, to let them off the hook. Um, uh, it doesn't necessarily mean restoring relationship with them, it just means I, I'm, I'm forgiving them as Christ has forgiven me. Uh, our words lead to unity, or our words can lead to disunity. Words are vital for the health of unity, and they're vital for, for disunity. Like words are essential. We could talk about those things, but Paul doesn't list those. He, he lists six things. We're going to spend the rest of our time talking about these six things that Paul lists here in Philippians chapter 2 for the means for unity. The first is this he points to being like minded. Like minded. Philippians 2. Uh, verse two says this, he says, says the make, if you have these things and I know you do, then make my joy complete by being like minded. Paul writes about unity a, a whole lot uh, throughout his letters. As a matter of fact, next to salvation, apart from salvation, Paul writes more in the new Testament about unity than any other topic. This word like-minded is, a, is an interesting word. It's used 26 times in the New Testament. It, Paul uses it 10 times here in this book of Philippians that we're studying. I mean, this is pivotal to the church of Philippi. It's pivotal for us today. This word like-minded, it could be translated to have the same attitude, uh, to, to hold this view, uh, to hold this, this belief. When it comes to being like-minded, we're not just talking about doctrine. I mean, that's, that's assumed that as citizens of heaven, like we talked about last week, that we're living under the authority of God's word, that this is the grid through which we're filtering the world around us. We're filtering decisions. We're filtering our life through. Paul is, is assuming that. But being like-minded is, is heading in the same direction. And, uh, and here's some keys to that. Your, your thought life is a real world. Uh, and if you want to know the, the direction your life is headed, look at the direction of your strongest thoughts because your, your life is always headed in the direction of your strongest thoughts. That's why Paul writes so much about the way we think, about our minds and how the church can be, be like-minded. Here it is in Romans chapter 8 and verse 5. Uh, he talks about this. He says, those who live according to sinful nature, check this out, have their mindset on what that nature desires. But those who live in accordance with the spirit have their their mindset on what that spirit desires, what the spirit desires. The mind of sinful man is death, but the mind controlled by the spirit is life and peace. The sinful mind, it's hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those controlled by the sinful nature cannot please God. But you, 
the central family. However, you're not controlled by the sinful nature, but by the spirit, if the spirit of God lives in you. Paul writes about this, how do we have the same mindset, being like-minded? Colossians chapter 3, 1 through 4, he says, Since then you've been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things of eternal value. As citizens of heaven, set your mindset, not just on earthly things, but, but look up. He says, set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind, your thought life on things above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ and God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. What a promise. But now, while we're here on earth, we live as citizens of heaven. And a big part of that is setting our minds on things above. Uh, later in the book of Philippians, chapter 3, verse 17, he says this. He says, says, join with others in following my examples and take note of those who live according to the pattern I gave you. He's saying, hey, as people, as I'm teaching you and people are actually doing this, make note of those people. W watch their life. See how it goes for them. He's confident in, in God's word. He's confident in the promises of God. He knows God's going to show up for them. He says, for as I've often told you before, and now I say again with tears that many live as enemies of the cross. Shocking. Many live as enemies of the cross. Their destiny is destruction and their God is their stomach. Like people who just do whatever feels good. Uh, th this looks good. I'm going to do that. They, they, they just live based according to their, their appetite. It says, it says, and their glory is their, their shame. But check this out. Here, here's what's at the root of that. Their mind. Their mind is on earthly things. He says, it's, that's who they are. But he contrasts that group with this group. He says, but you, but our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly await a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so they'll be like his glorious body. What a promise. That's awesome. That's a reality for you right now, right here, that we find joy in that. But, but until that day comes when he transforms our lowly bodies so it'll be like his glorious body, we live as, as citizens in heaven. What Paul is teaching us here is that when we make it our primary purpose to set our mind on things above, when we make it our primary purpose to, 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 to let our mind go to what the spirit desires rather than what our stomachs desires, rather than, than what, whatever feels good in the moment, we make conscious effort not to be consumed with earthly things because our citizenship is in heaven, then there'll be unity. That, that unites us. He says, be like-minded. Like, like this is our driving for, this is the grid through which we view our, our life. And yes, there'll be other differences, but nothing as important or as paramount as what citizens of heaven focus our minds on. First key is being like-minded. Second key to unity is having the same love. Have the same love. Philippians 2.2 says, having the same love. The only way that you and I can have the same love is if you've experienced the love of Christ. And I hope you have. If not, we'll give you an opportunity to experience the love of God uh, by having a relationship with him at the end of the service. But, but once we experience the love of Christ, then, then the invitation, actually the command, is to share the love of Christ and to love others the way that Christ loves us. When citizens of heaven love each other the way God loves us, we have unity. Here's what love is. I love this definition. It says, love is the accurate estimate and the adequate supply of another's need. Love is the accurate estimate and the adequate supply of another's need. God accurately estimated the travesty of our sin, and he adequately supplied what was needed, a savior, 
a rescuer. And so as citizens of heaven who have the same love, we look at the landscape of the world around us and we say, say, where's the need? How can I see a need? How can I meet a need? We, we, we accurately estimate the need and we adequately supply what's needed to meet that need. We forgive as Christ forgave us. We are compassionate towards other. Why? Because Christ has been compassionate towards us. We were merciful. Why? Because God's been merciful with us. We, we have the same love. That promotes unity. It leads to unity. Third thing is this, uh, one in spirit and purpose. Being one in spirit and purpose, the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 2. And, uh, and we're currently reading through, if you're with us in the, the U version reading out, we're reading through the book of Acts. And uh, interesting passage in Acts chapter 2, uh, the Bible says that the believers, after Jesus ascends into heaven, like all the believers were there, like they're in one room like this. This says, and they're in one accord. Uh, that word's an interesting word in the Greek language. It's homeothumadon. Uh, homeo being one, being the same. Thumadon being, being temperature. So, so they're there in the room. They're, they're all going after God with one spirit, one purpose, with the same temperature, same fervency, same eagerness. God, we need you. We just need your presence. And as they're there with one spirit, one purpose, one temperature, what happens? The Holy Spirit shows up, right? Fills people with his presence, fills people with the Holy Spirit. And when people are filled with the Spirit, they naturally just begin to, to tell people about Jesus and, and the church's birth. And 3,000 men get baptized in one day. They, they begin to find and follow Jesus. The church's birth It's a beautiful thing. How'd that happen? They're one accord. They were united with one Spirit, one purpose. They had the same, same temperature. They had the same fervency. They were united and I think it's important, you know, for, for us as a church to know, like, especially if you're fairly new here, like, what are we even about? Like, what's, what is our purpose? Well, every week we try to articulate it from the front. We exist as a church to help people find and follow Jesus. That's why we exist. That is our purpose. Uh, one thing that we're passionate about is helping people find and follow Jesus. We're passionate about that. We're passionate about missions. Our temperature for missions is very high. I've been a part of a lot of great churches, but their temperature for missions wasn't as high as the central family. Why? Because we're passionate about helping people locally as well as globally find and follow Jesus. We're, we're passionate about the word of God. Uh, every week, whenever you, you tune in online or you gather in this room, uh, you, can, you can bet Someone's going to be up here teaching God's word because we're passionate about the word of God. I have opinions about a whole lot of things happening in our world right now, but, but none of them will change your life. Uh, First Peter says this, we're, we're transformed by the living and enduring word of God. Listen, for generation after 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 generation, God's word will stand. I'll be here behind the pulpit for a season. But God's word will endure forever. So you better believe whenever you come into this place, I, I, if I'm here, I, if someone else is here, we're going to be teaching the word. We're passionate about it. We're passionate about the word of God, about knowing God's word, about applying God's word to our life. We're passionate. We're passionate about helping people find and follow Jesus. And whenever we say that, here's what we mean. We, when we say we want to help people find and follow Jesus, here's what we hope for you. Here's what we, we believe a, a disciple is. Uh, a team of people have done a lot of work to, to, to put some uh, legs to this and structure to this. But here it is. If you're taking notes, you might, might write this down because this is what we're about. This is our purpose. We exist to help people find and follow Jesus. What we mean by that is we want them to know God. We want them to grow in freedom. We want them to show their purpose. We want them to go change the world. It, structurally, how does that practically play out on a weekly basis? Well, we want people to know God. That primarily takes place in our, in our, in our weekly gatherings. 
We want people to know God. That's why every week we give an invitation for people to, to know God, to go on that journey with God. We want people to, to grow in freedom. Listen, sustained life change takes place in small groups. I believe that's where freedom's found. I found freedom in my life, uh, not because of what a guy like me said from the front of the stage. That was kind of a catalyst for it. But sustained life change took place whenever I was eyeball to eyeball and I let my guard down. I said, you know what? I'm struggling. And here's what I'm struggling with. Freedom's found there. It was key to my journey. That's why we were passionate about small groups. That's why today we encourage you to go out on the patio and sign up for a group. Because freedom's found there. Sustained life change is found there. And if you're at this place in your spiritual journey where you're like, I don't think I'm growing anymore. Like, I, I've been a part of a group. I've done 5,000 studies. But I just don't feel like I'm, I'm growing anymore. That's because you're supposed to be leading a group. And pouring into other people what God has already poured into you. That's where, again, that's not me trying to be cheeky. I'm just saying that's, that's where you'll find your next level of freedom. That's the way God, that's God's desire. That's God's design. Uh, show your purpose. This takes place in Thrive. Uh, Thrive is where we go through your spiritual gifts. And every one of you here, you, you've been gifted by God. If you're a follower of Jesus, by the Holy Spirit, he's given you a gift. And, and it's our joy to journey with you to say, hey, here's where we believe your gift is. And here's where that gift best finds expression in the church. Structurally, that's where it takes place. Go change the world. This is where people every week here are, are serving, changing the landscape of this community. Yesterday, changing the landscape of this community. They're, they're feeding groceries to people that would not have a meal today because they're, they're out serving our community, serving on Friday. Listen, when we, we can go change, this is our hope for you, that everyone that calls center their home would know God, would grow in freedom, show their purpose and go change the world. We're, we're structuring ministry through this. We're allocating resources according to this grid. We're, we're filtering what organizations we partner with and we don't partner with by this grid. This is the way we're viewing life. And I'm just saying, if, you, if, you, if your temperature doesn't go up a little bit because of those things, then there's a lot of great churches here in the Bay. You know, like, like I love, there's a lot of great pastors and I love them dearly and their mission is different than ours. And, and my hope is that Whatever differences you might have with me or, or this church that you'd be able to pray through and this would be your home and that's my hope. But, but if you don't get excited for what, what our purpose is, then find a church where you can because that's part of being united. That's part of being walking in unity. That's part of being in one spirit and one, one purpose as Paul talks about. But I hope you are excited about helping people know God. I hope you are excited about helping people find freedom. Yeah. I hope you are excited about helping people show their purpose. And I hope you're excited not just to help people go change the world, but you're excited to go change the world because that's what God's called you to. We believe that. Fourth thing is this. He, he says, hey, hey, whenever you're lockstep, one spirit, one purpose, that's going to lead to unity. But the fourth thing that leads to unity is, is living a life that's unselfish. We all have different preferences. We all would prefer things a certain way. But, but when we're, we're living in unity, we're saying, hey, you know what? I don't necessarily love that, but like I'm willing to set that aside because I love the church. I, I, love, I love the community of believe. Paul says this, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Selfish ambition is like doing something for what you'll get out of it. Uh, some people are like, I'll, I'll serve as long as it makes me feel good. Then whenever the feelings wear off, they're like, I think, I, th I don't think I'm called to kids ministry. I think I'm called to do something else. Um, and I would just say this, like, if you get something out of serving, that's awesome. Like, praise God for that. But that's not the motivation for serve. We serve because he, he served us. Like we, we serve because Jesus didn't come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And so sometimes I love serving as your pastor. Some days I don't. But it doesn't negate my call to serve. 
You know what I'm saying? So, so, so selfish ambition aside, like, so it's not about what I'll get out of it. It's, it's not selfish ambition. It's not, not vain conceit. Vain conceit is simply say, man, I'm serving because I'll look good if I do. I want to serve in this area because it'll look good on my resume. I want to, I want to do this because it'll look good to others. I want to do this, this ministry because of what affirmation I'll hear from you. You know, Paul's just saying, don't do that. That, that doesn't promote unity. Matter of fact, it, it leads to disunity. Don't do anything out of selfish ambition, vacancy. Fifth is this, uh, walk in humility. Uh, Philippians 2, 3 says, but in humility, consider other people better than yourself. This is a tough one, right? Like, how do we live from this posture that says, you know what? You're better than me. Paul is not saying live from this posture of like a, a pseudo like inferiority complex. Uh, God doesn't view that, that way. Like he doesn't view as the scum of the earth. So you shouldn't view yourself as a scum of the earth. That, that would not be a godly mindset. Here's what I, I think is helpful. If it's helpful for you, great. If not, throw it away. Um, but, uh, but, but I think Paul lived from this mindset. And so my question to you would be this. By your personal observation, who is the greatest sinner you know? And don't point to your spouse if they're in the room. Don't do that. By personal observation, Tiffany, don't point up here. Uh, by personal observation, who's the greatest sinner you know? Uh, I think if we're honest with ourselves, by, from firsthand experience, the greatest sinner you know is you. For me, the greatest sinner I know is me because I, I know what I thought when they said that. I, I know what I felt when they did that. I know the way I responded in that situation. By personal observation, the greatest sinner you know, the greatest sinner I know is, is me. And when we live life through that grid, it allows us to say, you know what, I, I want to humbly walk before God. And I'm going to consider other people better than myself because even though they're struggling in that area, man, I know how I struggle. I, I, know, I, I know they're broken, but hey, man, phew, if you saw behind closed doors, I'm a broken dude too. Uh, Paul lived from this mindset, and this is the Apostle Paul, 1 Timothy one five, he says, here's a trustworthy saying. It deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I'm the worst. And on this, I'm like, this is the apostle Paul. This is the dude pinning the book of Philippi, like to this church in Philippi. He started the church. He's planted the church. Like, like he's in chains. He's chained to a Roman guard 24-7, 365. He still has joy. He's about to lay down his life for the sake of the gospel. He still has joy. Like, like, Paul, like, this must be a bad day. Like, surely under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, God's like, no, Paul, you're just having a bad day. Roll up the parchment, start fresh. You're in chapter one. Like, let's just start over. But the Holy Spirit lets it stand. Why? Because from personal observation, Paul is the worst sinner he knows. Of whom I am the worst, but, and this is where it's key for you and I as well. But for that very reason, I was shown mercy so that I, the worst of sinners, Christ might display his immense patience as an example to those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. And Paul's so excited about this. He's like, he's like, yes, I'm the worst sinner, but God saved me. Yes, I'm the worst sinner, but thankfully God's using me to display his radical love, his radical grace. And he thinks about the wisdom of God. He thinks about the immense love of God. And he just busts into this song, this, this doxology. He says, now to the king, eternal, immortal, the invisible God, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Listen, how can we walk in humility? How can we consider other people better than ourselves? Listen, let's just be very honest about the reality of our fallen nature. And so when we see someone struggling with sin, we'll be more compassionate towards them. We'll, we'll be less quick to judge them. We'll be less quick to say, you know what? At least I'm not like those people. No, no, no. We'll say, you know what? 
I'm broken too. Matter of fact, I'm the worst of sinners, but God saved me. But God used me to display his radical grace. It'll allow us to walk with compassion and humility. And that leads for every citizen of heaven to promoting unity within the church. Sixth and final thing, care for others. Care for others. Philippians 2, 4 says, each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interest of others. What Paul is not saying here, he's not saying that, that you don't need to worry about your bills. Just, just give your money away and, and the bills will take care of themselves. He's not saying you don't need to work anymore. You just care about other people. Paul's not saying that. Matter of fact, he says the opposite. He says, hey, if you, you don't work, you don't eat. Like he's pretty straightforward on that. He says the guy doesn't provide for his family. He's worse than a sinner. Like he's worse than a degenerate. So like it, it, it's not a, a get out of jail free card to not like pay our bills because we're busy taking care of other people. I think the message paraphrase puts it, puts it best, and it says this. It says, forget yourself long enough to lend a helping hand. That promotes unity. When we forget ourselves long enough to say, you know what, this world's much bigger than me, the situations around me are much bigger than me, I'm going to forget myself long enough to say, how can I help? I want to lend a, a helping hand. Oftentimes we can excuse ourselves from ministry. We can excuse ourselves from things that would build the kingdom because we're thinking only about ourselves. And Paul says, don't do that. Paul says, forget yourself long enough to lend a helping hand. And here's where we're going next week. Chapter two, verse five. This, this kind of ties a bow on how do we live as citizens of heaven? How do we adopt this mindset? How do we walk in unity? How do we actually practically live this out? And we're gonna talk more about this, but I just wanna leave you with this. It says, your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. It's a high calling. It's not an easy, easy task, but as citizens of heaven, this is our goal. This is our target. This is what we're shooting for. It allows us to walk in unity, allows us to walk with this mindset that has eternal value as citizens of heaven. Here's what's at stake. I close with this. Three things, real quick. Without unity, here's what we need to know. Without unity, the church loses its blessing. Without unity, the church loses its voice. Without unity, the church loses the victory. Stakes are high. That's why Jesus, his last prayer, God, make them, make them one. And the good news is that you and I can be an answer to that prayer. And the good news is also that the opposite is true. That when the church has unity, it has blessing. When the church has unity, it has a voice. You can have a voice. You can have influence. You can have affluence. When the church has unity, it has, it has victory. The good news and the bad news are the same. Only you can do that. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your love. We thank you, God, for your word that guides us, that leads us, that helps us, God, to live according to your will. And God, we know when we live according to your word and we live according to your will, there we find abundant life. There we find what we're actually created to do. There we find peace. There we find joy. There we find all the good things that you desire to give us. So God, I pray today that you would help us not just to understand and receive your word today from Philippians chapter 2, but God, that we live it out. That, that we be people that say, you can count on me. God, I'm going to be the answer to your prayer. I'll fight for unity. God, empower your church to that end, I pray. Hey, as you continue with your heads bowed, eyes closed, and a posture of prayer, and we've been talking today about being a citizen of heaven, and maybe you're here and you're like, I don't even know that I, that's true of me. I don't know. I've never experienced having my sins forgiven. I've never experienced having my shame removed. 
I've never experienced the forgiveness that only God can give. Uh, today, I don't feel like I'm in a real relationship with him. I want you to know that can change today. The Bible says that you're saved, we're saved by grace through faith. And that's a gift from God. And that can be your gift that you receive today. You say, well, how do I receive that? Paul would write this in Romans. He says, if you believe in your heart that God raised Jesus Christ from the dead, that he died on the cross, paid the penalty for your sins, but it didn't in there, he rose again. And you confess with your mouth that you're going to make Jesus the Lord of your life. You're going to make him the CEO of your life. You're going to let him call the shots. You're going to come under the authority of his word. You're going to do things on God's term to the best of your ability. Then you'll be saved. That can begin in this moment. It'd be my joy to lead you through that prayer. So if that's you, I invite you to say a prayer with me like this. Say, say, God, I realize I made some mistakes. I realize my sin, my mistakes have separated me from a relationship with you. But God, I believe that you sent your son Jesus to pay the penalty for my sins on a cross. And I believe it didn't end on the cross. I believe that Jesus rose again. And so Jesus, today I'm asking you to come alive in me. Forgive me of my sins. Give me a fresh start today, I pray. And help me to face the challenges I'm up against. Now you say this to God. You say, God, today I give my life to you. If that was your prayer today, I just continue to ask. It's every head's bowed, every eye's closed. If that was your prayer today, I just invite you to slip up your hand. I'd love to pray with you before you get out of here and uh, show God you mean business, that you're serious about this. Thanks. Thanks. Well, Jesus, you see those reaching out to you. God, I pray now you reach out to them. Forgive them of their sins. Give them a fresh start and a new beginning. God, may they, may they sense, may they feel your power and your presence freeing them from guilt, freeing them from shame. And God, may they sense your presence with them now to walk with them every day of their life. What a gift. And for that, we just say thanks, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. That's awesome. Hey, if uh, that was your prayer today, yeah. That was your prayer today. That was your commitment. We'd love to connect with you. Uh, we believe that you might have some questions. We'd love to answer those. Uh, we also want to provide you some next steps that we believe can help you thrive in this spiritual journey of yours. Uh, but the Bible says this, that all of heaven celebrates whenever just one person makes that commitment to Jesus. And we don't want to have them to have all the funds. So we know they're throwing a party. But let's put our hands together like only the central family can. That's awesome. <laughs>